1: What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? Back again. We have another great episode for you. And I'm sure that if you're like me right now, you're trying to figure out how can I be more efficient with my time? I think that's everybody right now in the world, especially if you have any kids or younger brothers and sisters. So today on the line, we got a great guest that's going to help us become more efficient and also Think about the knowledge that we already have and how we can take our own knowledge right now and become an expert and help others with it. So stay tuned, stay locked in. This is going to be very fun. But without further ado, help me in welcoming Mr. Josh Fonger to the podcast. Josh, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation?
0: <laughs> what's up, Dream Nation? Excited to be here.
1: We're excited to have you. And did I say that right, Fonger? Is that the way you said You
0: did. Say it? You nailed it.
1: Good Perfect. job. Perfect. All right, because I was a little nervous on that one, but we're good. So Josh, I always like to think of entrepreneurs as superheroes. Why is because we're constantly putting on capes and we're constantly flying around trying to solve other people's problems and also solve just problems that we find in the world. And so before we get into all of the publications that you've been a part of, all of the hundreds and even thousands of CEOs and entrepreneurs that you've helped to coach and consult, before all of that, before the work, the system, and the book, if we can take it back to when you were just a young boy, tell me, who is Josh Fonger?
0: That's a deep question. Well, I, 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 I guess the way I, I always thought of things entrepreneurially, so, and it wasn't because I wanted to do the most work. It was because I wanted to do the least amount of work. So <laughs> I started a, a window washing business when I was real young, and it was about how do I not work eight to five like my, my friends were doing, but how do I make the most money per hour by doing the least work? Mm-hmm. And so I was always thinking about how to do things more efficiently. efficiently. So that if, if they were making you know, $6 an hour doing work, I could make, make $20 an hour. And so it was always about uh, yeah, playing the angles and find out how to be efficient in my work. And so that's the way I've always thought about things.
1: Got it. Now, did you grow up in in a business savvy entrepreneur family? Like, was your dad kind of a jack of all trades or were you like the outlier?
0: No, my dad owned his own business. He was an eye doctor and uh, my father-in-law owned his own business as well. And so it's always my grandpa owned his own business. So we just kind of always, I always had thought of owning my own business and just, it was in the back of my mind.
1: Got it. Cool. So Mm -hmm you as a kid you always were looking for the angles was there one story that you know you can remember going back to when you were young that you were like man i gotta stay on this path because your dad being an eye doctor but you being a true form entrepreneur right of like now a consultant and things like that like did you think you were going to go to school to be an eye doctor or a lawyer or something like that because your parents did
0: you no know, i thought i was going to be a real estate developer. Uh, I mean, I didn't tell you this my story, but I got an undergraduate degree in architecture. So
1: um,
0: I thought that I was going to build real estate. I was in commercial real estate in Phoenix. And I thought that was going to be my career path. And so I was working the the ranks and learning things, got my master's in business. And eventually I was going to start my my own thing. And then uh, 2007 happened. And, uh, you know, you had to pivot. (laughs) Right, the
1: crash, the crash of all crashes. And yeah, yeah, right now, everybody's wondering, will we get back to that, especially on the real estate market? Because so far, we have not even, we haven't had any type of recession when it comes to real estate. But of Mm -hmm. course, there's a lot more predictions that's coming about that it's inevitable. So let me ask, what are your thoughts on that? You know, now looking at it from an outside party and, you know, wanting to be a developer for so long. So looking at economic trends.
0: Yeah, I've been, I could go either way. And uh, so I don't want to make predictions (laughs) because really the chance of being right is is very low. You know, the more that the Fed lowers interest rates and the more they print money and the more they prop up things, the more they can inflate the bubble. Uh, The more they deal with reality and the more they deal with the fact that there's been no you know the, the goods and services have, have slowed down the velocity of money has slowed down dramatically in the last few months the more they acknowledge that reality uh the more likely there's going to be a downturn so it's a crystal ball i don't know uh, but I, what i do know is that right up until and during the crash all of the experts in real estate everyone that was my mentor everyone that was leading me was like this is going great don't worry it's a little blip it's going to be fine you know we're going to the moon And not one person would say anything bad. And I realized that you cannot trust the experts and you can't trust people who are in the industry to make money. And so you really have to be careful who you're listening to and they do have to be independent and objective. So I would be hedging my bets a little bit in real estate. I'll be diversifying a little bit. I would be not over leveraging myself because once once things go down, they go down in a hurry and you don't want to be on the wrong side of that downturn.
1: Right. It's like someone said, and I can't remember the exact words, but they were like, you know, the economy, it can be like it could be like your credit score. Like it takes forever to build it up and it looks like everything's going great. But just like you said, once it goes down, it's like, boom, it's it's down in a hurry. And now it's forever to get back up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're scrambling. And that's almost the scenario that we we're in right now right? And then it went down so fast. But no, I could definitely uh, respect that opinion. Let me ask you, is there anybody who you do listen to that you talk about are independent that's an economist?
0: You know, no one in particular. I try to listen to a, a lot of media. I can't think of any name off the top of my head. But the big thing that I realize is that everyone has an angle and you have to always follow the money and understand what, where they're coming from, what their background is and why they're saying what they're saying. And I take them all together And then I realized that, hey, two months ago, no one predicted we were gonna be in the situation we're in right now. And so every person's advice that you get, you know, you have to plan for those Black Swan events. You have to realize that, yes, they think based on yesterday, based on this, that, you know, next week is gonna be this way. But really, no one knows. And so I really try to focus my life on what can I control today my mind, my actions, my family, the activities of my business. I can do good work each day. Regardless of the of the turbulent things that happen outside of my outside of my four walls, and I feel like that's the most effective use of time because doing good work is always useful. You know, providing value is always useful, and then you save so much time and energy from worrying about what's going on outside. And so, be being aware of it. You know, find opportunities. But really, if you're always you know chasing the news, there's always the emergency and just to kind of belabor this point, we have this product that we sold eight years ago on our website and I was watching the video that, that Sam Carpenter, my business partner made, and it was all about, you know we're in these turbulent times and you know there's uncertainty and you gotta be concerned about this and that. And he wrote that, he did that video in an uncertain time. But what I realized is that <laughs> due to the way the media makes money, which is fear, after this uncertain time, there'll be another uncertain time and then there'll be another uncertain time. There's always going to be that, So don't be like, well, it's going to get better. Well, the media is going to make sure it's not because (laughs) then you've got to write about something. So don't, don't, don't base your life on that. Don't base your emotions on that. Don't base your work on that because it, it just drains you and you lose perspective and you lose, you just lose years of your life. And so I just made a conscious choice to not, not get stuck in it.
1: I love it. I love it. So one thing that you said was, you know, you made a pivot right? And a lot of people right now that are listening, they're thinking about making this pivot and they're thinking about starting their own business, but they're scared. And so talk me through what was your, what was the day like that you decided to make the decision to pivot and get out of real estate when that had been your journey for many years?
0: Yeah, that, that was a tough one. Yeah, my whole identity was wrapped up in it. And I can't say that I made the decision based on uh, wisdom or planning or forethought. It was just uh, the reality of you know, when you lose your house, you lose your car, uh, you've got two, you know, a wife and two kids. And I was literally selling, selling life insurance for commission, delivering potato chips from midnight to 4am for cash and for the friend's business and shoveling rock. And I was like, huh, I got to find some work, like really bad. And I actually ended up losing the house and living in my in-laws condo. And I was applying for jobs all over the world, anywhere in the world that would take me. And I figured I got a master's in business. Somebody's going to take me. Nobody, no one would take me for anything. And the only person who said yes to to bringing me on was to be an independent contractor and to be a consultant with another boutique consulting firm. And I had written my business thesis paper about why you should not be a business consultant, why business consulting is, you know, not a good career path and why it's, you know, Basically, you're just recycling information that people already know, and, and you're not really helping companies really. And that was my whole my whole <laughs> thought process. But the only place I could work was that job, and so of course, when the opportunity came up, I was like, "Sure, yeah, I'll be a business consultant," and because uh, <laughs> I need to get, I need to eat. Right. And so that was where it all began, and I just uh, fell in love with it. I had some really early on success, which I think was partly just luck. Oh, I know it was, and and. You know, the rest is history. So I just grew from being an independent consultant to then meeting Sam Carpenter, working with him, then being his employee, then being his business partner, then owning the business and, and now running the business. And so it was, it was not like, I'm going to go do my own thing. It was definitely uh progressive and, but that's what got me here.
1: Got it. I love it. Now, why did you have that stigma that, you know, it wasn't because a lot of people had these stigmas you know, when it comes to sales, with they're just mm-hmm. di- like nope, sales are sleazy and then all of a sudden they get into sales. Why was that your mindset when it came to business consultants? Like, did you get, yeah. did you have a bad experience with one or what did that good, look good
0: like? Good question, yeah. Um, My dad didn't like, so he never hired him. He, he really wanted to do things his own way and to place his own path. My father-in-law had a similar, well he had an even worse experience because the business consultant came in and totally changed the business, had all these bad ideas, destroyed the company, lay people off and it just really destroyed the company by having a consultant come in. And then my research was that oftentimes they would just have boilerplate solutions and they wouldn't stick. And so my whole thought process was that if you wanted to really create change in a business, you had to do it from the inside out. You had to actually grow your team. You actually had to build up those ideas, those resources, those strategies in house to have sustainable uh, scalable change as opposed to bring in someone, fly them in from the outside. You know, they do a two day workshop, give you a boilerplate report here's how you you know save money here's how you make money here's your you know your stack and then they fly out right. and I was like that that doesn't work and right. I had you know did the research that proved that it didn't work and so that was my feeling on it
1: Got it. Okay. And then you decided you're going to become a consultant. It's all going well. Where did you start to have, was there one client that you took on? Was there one experience that you had that really said, Hey, this is something that I could see myself doing as a career rather Mm -hmm. than just a job when you first came on looking to make ends meet?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was the, it was probably the the first major client within the first few months of being a consultant. It was a, a large Flooring store, so they had like seven locations. They were doing like eight million dollars in sales, and I had fly in there, and they were going through bankruptcy, and so it was about reorganizing, you know, basically getting rid of certain assets, working them through the reorganization so that they could come back stronger. And so I got to work with this client for six months, and just the amazing transformation of the people and in the team, and just the exciting nature of, of solving these problems. Uh, whether it was financial, it was cultural, it was operational, it was marketing, it was branding—all these pieces, PR together—it's just really fun work, really fun work to do. And so I love that, and I love the experience of watching this company really skyrocket after they re- removed from all these these debts. And this is the you know the first turning point in my consulting career. But to tell you the truth, I want to say it's like maybe three or four years later is when actually. I followed up with that owner. I saw him on LinkedIn and he was not the owner of that company anymore. He was a salesperson at another company. So basically he lost his company. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. So like everything I did Did with this guy. Did you reach out
1: to him and ask him like, what was the scenario?
0: I I haven't. I never did. But that's what got me excited about about Sam Carpenter and his whole methodology of work the system. I was like, you know, when I was working with this guy, it was all... There was a lot of effort that I was putting in. There was a lot of you know, you know, me working the financials, me working the advertising, me working the merchandising, me working the pricing. And so I was heavily involved for, for months and months and months. But as soon as I walked away, not that it was just me, but I think that I did not build systems for him. I did not build structure. I did not procedurize, document what we were doing. And so um, you know, I was doing exactly what my thesis paper says not to do. I was bringing all the ideas in and then leaving. You know, as opposed to, hey, actually, you need to build this infrastructure with the team so that it's sustainable, so that it gets better with time. And that's why I kind of really, really got excited about meeting Sam Carpenter, getting involved in his business, work the system, because I realized that, hey, the change we're making, it gets better with time. It actually, it's built with the team. And if we use this method, it's actually going to, it might not be as sexy, but it's going to actually work better and be more sustainable because it's based on documented systems that the team builds.
1: Got it. I love it. Now there's going to be so much that I want to unpack, but the first thing is talk to me about what is the most important thing about systems? Like, why are you a systems guy? Why Uh should everyone be looking heavily at their systems? Because just like you said, when you first come in, you're trying to figure out uh, so many different things about your team, about the culture, about marketing, about sales. Like why is systems right up at the top there? Uh, For anybody to be looking at, whether they're a new business or even you know a seasoned business, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Well, I guess the couple of things to think about first is the difference between a small, struggling, dysfunctional small business, which is essentially all small business, and a large, successful one. Is that large, successful ones have systems in place, the small ones don't. So you first have to understand that. Oh, you know, the big companies do this; the small companies don't. Would I like to stay in this hellish situation where? you know, 95% of people who do what I do go out of business and the ones who stay in business have a living hell? Or do I want to grow something great? And versus, oh yeah, they do this thing different. They've actually built systems, (laughs) right? And the second thing is that systems are always happening. This is a a big thing that Sam uh, beats on is that, you know, sales, there is a sales system in your business. There is a marketing system in your business. There is an HR system in your business. You just don't know it. You're just not, you're not managing it. You're not um, in control of it. So it's happening, it's just, it's just happening organically. You know, it's just happening by default. And so instead of just you know, running your business by the seat of your pants, instead you should see those separate systems and you should control them, you should manage them. And once you do that, you're gonna notice that you're gonna get better results as opposed to just uh, you know, a lucky sale here and a good experience there, but then the next week it's a bad experience, but then the next week it's a, you know, a totally different experience and your, your life becomes random And it becomes all about you instead of mechanizing your business. And so it's, the lie is that small business thinks, you know, once I get big, then I'll put that structure in place. And the truth is to get big or bigger, (laughs) you have to put the structure in place. And so really the time to start is, you know, today.
1: Got it. Yeah, no, I love that. And, And so my first thought is, how You said you have to recognize the systems are already in your business. You just have to recognize them, and you have to obviously optimize them. How does someone recognize the systems that are already in their business?
0: Mm-hmm. right? How do,
1: how do I know this if I'm a first person? Because how do I know how to build systems? If I don't have the money right now, I'm, I'm really robbing Peter to pay Paul, and I can't go out and get me a business consultant. What's some of like the, the first one or two things that I could do to try to at least get my business on the right track?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And you have to deal with, with reality. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend throwing a bunch of money at a consultant early on. The first thing is the mindset. So the mindset, we call it outside and slightly elevated or the, the systems mindset. It's to um, keep track of your, your day and see the repeatable things that happen. So, you know, what you do with your sales calls or your standard emails, or, you know, the way you bring a check to the bank, you know, what, what are the regular things you do on a daily basis? And then isolate those separate things and say, oh, this, this, is my, this is my phone call procedure. This is my customer service procedure. This, these are the things that I'm doing again and again and again. And pick one that, is, that you can leverage. And oftentimes in a small business, that's, that's something that, that you yourself are doing. So if you yourself are, you know, actually this is this, years ago, I was taking attachments that my, my clients would send me and I was finding their folder and I was saving the attachments. I was like, oh, that's no big deal. I just, you know, I save a few attachments every day. I did the math, and I'm like, wow, I'm spending like 45 hours a year saving attachments. (laughs) Maybe I should not be doing that. And so, you know, write a little procedure, had my assistant, you know, save the attachments for me. That that was a, a one closed loop system that was part of my weekly work experience that I should not be doing as the owner, right? And so it's any number of things. And so, you know, the phrase we use is automate, delegate, delete. And the thing is to find those things that you regularly do. And you're either going to delete them out of your life because they, they don't fit with your business or life goals, or you're going to delegate them, or you're going to automate them. And so that, that is the starting place. And I think owners of companies, especially small companies, there is a lot of just personal productivity and efficiency that if they just did that alone would skyrocket the business. And then the next step after that, if you are a solopreneur, would be you have to find a, a second in command, a second pair of hands, a virtual assistant, somebody to pick up a lot of the administrative things that are just r- reality in business. And the third thing, if I could just keep on this riff, is you have to value your time um, appropriately. So people they they value their time at you know ten dollars an hour, twenty dollars an hour, thirty dollars an hour. But as an owner, you have to value your time at you know three hundred dollars an hour or more, even though. Maybe no one's going to pay you $300 an hour. You have to value your time at that and then decide, okay, so this task right here, which is, I don't know, taking out the trash. I can do this. I'm equipped to do this. i you know, I don't have too much pride. I can, I can do this, but is that the best use of your time? And then you realize, gosh, actually it's not. And you can find people to help you. You can't build a business that's big without helpers. You, you need help to do it. And oftentimes people think, well, the more help I get, the more complicated it's going to be, the more expensive it's going to be, but the opposite is the case if you have clearly defined roles and, and systems, which is a big part of what we do.
1: I love it. Now, talk to me, where do you see, do you see that a lot of solopreneurs or small businesses, do they struggle with marketing their businesses, getting the name out there, the recognition, or do they, sell, do they struggle with bringing in income, so sales part of their business? Because those can be two different things. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure you've worked with enough companies that you've seen both companies that have a marketing and sales department and companies that have an all-in-one and mm-hmm. there becomes a frustration and a lot of convolution there. What are your thoughts? Is there a way that you can maybe be more efficient uh, by hiring one over the other?
0: I think that what I see happen most with with really small companies, is that they overcomplicate what it takes to sell or deliver value to their ideal client? So instead of just making the offer, they want to you know build some social media, they want to build some branding, they want to do some design, they want to do all these ancillary things. When really the customer just wants you to do the you know solve the problem that they have and just you know do all of that. So you know thinking of this company I work with that that sold sold wheels and tires, right? The company, the customers that are buying those wheels and tires, they don't necessarily, they're not buying the branding, they're not buying the the automation, they just want the tires, right? When we started our consulting business, we didn't have a website, we didn't have anything. We just sent a few emails out to people that we knew and said, hey, do you want somebody to help build systems in your business? And a few folks said yes. And that was over $100,000 in consulting. It wasn't like, let's build all this stuff first and make ourselves useful. It was be useful by doing the work. And I think that that is what the internet world has done is it's, it's maybe sold you this concept that you have to do all these things first before you can provide value for somebody. And I'm, I'm training consultants underneath me right now. They've they got no website. They have no experience. They just, they know some folks and they got a friend who's got a small business and they say, hey, do you want me to help put systems? And the person's like, yeah. And they just start. And then they, they just start making money. And, and that's the, the truth and the reality is as long as you are helping somebody, in business, that is more valuable than trying to market, helping, helping, just helping someone in business. So uh, I think I said that right. So I would, I would focus much more on doing the work. So going right to the sale, as opposed to talking about the work, marketing the work, branding the work, that stuff matters. But when you're small, it, it can be a huge distraction from just doing the work.
1: Wow. I love that you said that. And that's something that it even comes up in my business, right? Cause, and I think social media, just like you said, has just made it that it's like so many people, they have all of the flash. And so you're like, man, will my customer think that I'm not as, you know, equipped right because uh-huh. i don't have the big brand or i can't do all these other things and of course now with the access to copywriters and things like that which you didn't know of before mm-hmm. the words on paper can look really sexy regardless if someone's actually winning and they have the right systems or the right procedure to help your business or if they don't it's like mm-hmm. man they have some very good copywriters and you as a as a small business owner you just don't even know that that's what they're doing because i talk to so many people and it's like hey you know Even just bringing up the word copyright and they're like, huh, like you're talking about like my logo, my brand. It's like, no, the copy on the paper. And so I love that you brought that up. Do you feel like a lot of people, once they start to get these systems in place, do you feel like that then they take a step back from working on their businesses hard? Because then, because I think that's where a lot of people, they struggle they feel like if I start to automate, delegate, and delete, I'll give someone else you know, these tasks, well then that means that I'm not as useful anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, people's uh, identity and what they're good at is the work they're doing right now. And so if you are automating, delegating, deleting, and handing things off, then you're like, well I'm gonna have to do something that I don't know how to do, which is be a leader, be a CEO, <laughs> run this company, and I don't know how to do that, and I'm not very good at it either, and so it's, it's definitely a transition. And so oftentimes when I'm working with a, an owner, and there's one that's coming to mind right now, great guy, and he is an electrician, right? So he has this, you know, helps people with their video and audio and setting their sound systems up. And anyways, and he's always done the work, right? He's done the work, a few assistants, you know, in the field, uh, commercial electrician. And I, I went through all the things that he does. And then I said, okay, well then who's, who's running the business? Like who's the owner of the business? He's like, well, that's me. And I go, well, you know, are you, you know, focused on getting new financing? Are you focused on new technology, branding, you know, relationships, opening new locations? Are you focused on building systems, recruiting, like all these things that a a CEO would be focused on? Like, who's doing that? It's like, well, no one is. (laughs) So no one's doing the things that an owner would do because you're doing the things that a technician would do. Mm -hmm. And so once he realized that, I said, well, if you want this, if you want to own this business and run this business. You got to do these things, but you can't do both at the same time. And so we have to make that transition. And uh, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, people are so used to being the technician that they don't even know what an owner is supposed to do. And so that, that is a, a critical shift. And it doesn't have to happen in a day, but it does have to happen. Otherwise, you're going to always, you're going to always stay small because there is no leader. There is no one providing strategy. There is no one providing direction. There is no one building culture. There is no one driving new snails, sales initiatives or new, looking for new opportunities, innovating, like new, new product development, new service development. That stuff doesn't happen if you're doing the work yourself.
1: Wow. That's what it brings to mind one of the best quotes that uh, someone ever told me. They said, If you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. Right. (laughs) And so I was like, Oh, that's right. And it was like right when I first got in my real estate business, because obviously real estate agents, they don't want to hire people. They're doing everything from marketing to showing houses to everything. Mm -hmm. So, no, that's a, a big deal. And I'm glad you brought that part up. Now, for someone, Because the other side of this is you teach people how to take their knowledge and become a consultant, Mm -hmm. right? To go out there and and help other businesses as well and and do their own thing with it. How, for someone right now that's trying to find their way, maybe they're not a business owner right now, maybe they just got laid off and they're looking Mm -hmm. at side hustles. Why should they be looking at being a consultant? Why should they, you know, why should they think that they have enough knowledge to go out and help another business, especially one that's already doing $1 one million, two million, ten million dollars in volume.
0: Yeah, uh, great question. And most people shouldn't, right? <laughs> most people should, you know, go back to what they know, go back to the industry they're in. But in some cases, at least in my case, that was the transition that needed to happen. So people that we work with, they they love solving problems, they love helping people, and they love the they love business, right? They're obsessed with podcasts, with books, with efficiency. And I know when I started consulting at age twenty six. I didn't know anything about running a company, right? <laughs> really, I didn't, I knew nothing except for what I read. And, but what I did realize is that an outside perspective with different knowledge and experience can do amazing work if they're willing to be honest about it. And this, here's a good example. So I was, I was working with this one company and they, they flew me in to do uh, sales training saying, so our sales are down Josh flat here. So I flew out there and, and he's like, well, this is you know, our salesperson and here's our sales manager and our sales systems and our technology. And, and so then I go, tell me about your sales. He's like, well, they've been declining, and and tell me, and anyways. And I said, I think that your main sales problem is that uh, you haven't painted your building in like the last thirty years. The the, the shingles are falling off. The landscape is terrible. The asphalt's terrible. I say, it looks like a haunted house here. Like my wife would never come into your retail location. Right. I don't think it's your sales team. I think it's you, you got to like. I mean, the sign's falling apart out there. It looks it looks scary out there. And he's like, what do you mean? I go. Just just walk outside, look at this and it's like, oh, I never thought about that. Cause he had been going to the same business his whole life, you know. He never realized that, you know, the inside of the showroom looked nice, but it was the outside that was just it was just terrible. And so I realized, wow, this you people just get they get in these perspectives, they get in these loops, right? You you get in a rut or a loop and you don't know how to get out of it. And someone from the outside can easily, easily diagnose things, even without any experience. And they can easily say, hey, you know what? I think I see the problem. It's because, you know, your phone system doesn't work. Did you realize that it goes direct to voicemail and no one picks up?
1: Right. Oh,
0: oh yeah. Or whatever it might be. And then working with them, you end up being, as a consultant, you're an an outside perspective, for one, which is hugely valuable. Um, You bring new, new information that they don't have because they are in their loop. And you also are a pair of hands. You can actually help them make that change. It could be a catalyst for change. To make change it requires a little bit of extra effort, accountability, and, and work. And when everyone's already busy, they don't know how they can get that done. And when they have somebody from the outside who can help them during that rough patch for two weeks, two months, a year, it makes all the difference. And so that, that is, I think it's an awesome career because it's never boring. You do some amazing, amazing work that you can't do inside uh, your own business. Like for me, I get to see thousands of different scenarios every year. Instead of just living one business life, I get to live like hundreds of business lives simultaneously. Right. And so don't. I think it's, I just think it's great work.
1: No, I love it. So that's the why, how does someone even start to become a consultant? Like how do you, huh? how do you get your first check? Like how do you reach out? Let's just the first client. If you're, if someone says, hey, I want to be a consultant. I want to be a digital consultant. How do they huh? find their first client?
0: Yeah, um, it, I would say go to people that you know. And so there's a lot of business, if you're watching this on video, there's a lot of books behind me. There's a lot of books talking about you know, pricing strategies and marketing strategies and branding. The main thing, if you want to just get started, is friends, family, people you know, and, or previous employers, you go right to them and say, hey, you know that I know this particular industry and I have this particular skill set. Can I help you solve this problem that you have? And uh, they'll say yes. And maybe you, won't have to, maybe you won't sell it for what you want to sell it for but you'll get some work and work begets work. So if you have work, it is 10 times easier to get new work. And if you have some success, it's way easier to get more success. And so uh, the biggest problem for new consultants is they are afraid to get started and they feel like they have to have all of these ducks in a row and all of this experience and all these testimonials and all of these uh, templates and tools and resources before they can even get started. And that's, that's not the truth. The main thing is you just need somebody uh, Trust you enough to work with them, and uh, I mean, my one of my favorite consulting stories is that a new guy I brought on, he's like, Josh, I want to be consulting. Like, great! So he you know, up for our program. The next week, he's like, Josh, I just talked to somebody in the street and uh, they want me to be their consultant, and he was not even certified yet in our program. I'm like, Great, go do it! And um, I said, What's the deal? He's like, Well, I told him that I would work for free for a month, but they would do a testimonial video for me, and the guy was in his mid 20s. I was like, Perfect, you know, like you're not going to make a lot of money working for free, but that person had tons of contacts. He's going to get tons of experience. He's going to have a testimonial and he's going to be years ahead of the average consultant. Who's like, well, once I find the perfect client and once I get my website done and what, that's not the way you do it. And I had to learn that the same way because I had to, I had mouths to feed and I had to make money like day one. I couldn't wait a year or two to start my consulting career. It was like, I have to make six figures starting day one, and let's begin. It wasn't it wasn't like let me just wait around and and figure this out. It was like let's just start helping people because no one's going to help you, no one's going to pay you for your branding and your social media account and your website. They're going to pay you for actually helping them with their business. And so I I think you just have to go direct to that pain point.
1: Got it. I love it, man. That's so much value right there, and and I'm hoping that somebody is taking that advice because for a lot of us we we do get stuck in the rut of paralysis of analysis, right? We're just constantly thinking I got to have all my ducks in a row and becoming a consultant. It seems like such a prestigious word, right? Mm-hmm. So it, so it can be easily felt that you have imposter syndrome because it mm-hmm. says, listen, if I go over here and I try to talk to this person about whatever it is, business systems, they're running a $10 million business, but yeah, I don't even have a job technically, mm-hmm. Right so I'm trying to get my first so how do I feel like I have that much? is when you talk about mindset, what you said is the first one, is there mm-hmm. one thing that you say to someone to let them know that they are enough that they can become a top level consultant in their mm-hmm. industry mm-hmm.
0: That's a great question. I don't know if there is like a, a one pithy statement I say, but i I do say that you know the people you're working with because i I fly into all these different industries, so wh- whether it's you know air conditioning repair or it's a digital marketing agency or it's a you know a nuclear power plant repair company, like all these weird companies, tattoo company. And you can and I, do that. And I sorry tell, to
1: cut you off, but you feel like you can do that because of the fact everyone needs systems.
0: Yes. And the reason why I can do that is I tell them upfront oh, I don't know much at all about your industry, right? And, I, and everyone who's here knows more about what they do than I do. The only thing that I'm bringing to you is a certain method with a certain framework on building systems. And I know more about that than you, you all do. And so I'm just going to work with you. I'm going to bring my tool set, which is, you know, building systems. And your team is going to have to fill in that, that tool set. And we're going to work together. And so I think that that is the, the simple approach is don't go in there and say, oh, I'm going to tell your sales team what to do. And I'm going to tell your marketing team what to do. And I'm going to be the expert on leadership development. No, it's just you say, oh, I know a lot about one thing. And one, one event that I went to that really helped me I saw this speaker and the room probably had 500 people in the room and the speaker, all she knew how to do was leave a good voicemail. That was it. That was her claim to fame was I know how to leave a voicemail that people want to receive and they want to call you back. And people are like, wow, enthralled by this one person. That's all she knew how to do. That was her thing. She wasn't like, I'm great at communications and I'm also great at sales and I'm great at branding and customer service. And it, it was just leaving a voicemail. So she had the ability to walk into any company and provide a lot of value because she'd been studying and thinking about and planning for and researching voicemails, right? And I was like, wow, that's really amazing. And I think that when you go into a company, if you can be more focused, specific to an industry and more focused, specific to a a problem that you solve, then it's going to open up a lot of doors. The more broad you are, like I generally help businesses and I help them in the industry, you're going to struggle a lot.
1: Is there one area that you've seen because you've been on the inside of so many big businesses and even small, Mm -hmm. if somebody's looking to say, I don't know necessarily what I'm good at, but I'm willing to learn because I feel like right now I've seen a lot. So is there one area, would you say most businesses need help with marketing? Most businesses need help with culture and leadership development. Most businesses need help with systems. Like, is there one or two I guess, specific niches that you would say, if you can get good at this, I think you can have a career in consultancy over the next 10, 15, 25 years.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And companies have problems everywhere. (laughs) Every company you go in has got cancer. And I would say that if you're going to go in a couple of things to think about. One is look at what, what consultants uh, are making money right now. So there's lots of leadership consultants. There's lots of sales consultants. There's lots of marketing consultants. And the reason why is because companies have problems with that, right? So you, you go to the fact that, wow, there's lots of people who do this. There must be lots of need there. And that's true. But if you're going to, but there's also lots of competition, right? So I'm very biased in my answer because of course we, we have the brand work the system, we do systems. And so our belief is that that there might be trainers in sales, there might be trainers in marketing, there might be trainers in branding, but there aren't people who help build the sustainable systems and companies. And so we are big believers that that is the the golden opportunity as this message gets spread out more and more that small business owners are realizing, gosh, I had this sales trainer, but then once he was gone, we were in trouble. Or I had this person help me with marketing or ads, but once they were gone, we were in trouble. And they're starting to realize, gosh, I should actually build these, these systems. And so I think that, is an easy foot in the door, because when you go to companies, there is somebody who does sales, there is somebody who does marketing, there is somebody who does um, HR. So you are stepping on someone's toes when you go into a company, which means they, you know, when I fly into companies, they don't always want me to be there, right? They don't want some outsider looking into their stuff. But if you specialize in something that nobody in the business does, like maybe you specialize in automation, or you specialize in some kind of new technology they don't have, if you specialize in something where the internal staff doesn't have a person who does that, that's going to get you in the door, a lot more doors. And so we certify people as business systems managers because there are no business systems managers in companies right now. And so you can walk in there and say, Hey, no one does this in your business right now. I know there's a huge opportunity and they're not afraid of you taking out someone's position because there is nobody who does that position. So I think that that's the other thing too, is to find, find the hole in, in a business, Right. I've got one guy who just, you know, his whole thing is, you know, VoIP telephone systems, right? So he's got no one. Most companies don't have a VoIP telephone system person in house. Basically, no one does. And so he can walk into any company and help them with that one thing because there is no staff who does it.
1: Got it. Well, there you have it. That, that's such a great perspective, right? To try to find something that you're not going to be stepping on toes and not to say the sales and marketing and, and leadership isn't great, but at the mm-hmm. same time, just like you said, it could people, especially if you've got to go through the gatekeeper to get to the CEO and that gatekeeper is also in charge of marketing or sales mm-hmm. or whatever else. And now they know that you're trying to, they're going to say, uh, no, I think we got that covered. So if you could find another way in, and then if maybe once you're in and you've built the trust and they know that you're not in there to try to put them out of a job, you say, hey, I also have a little bit of experience when it comes to marketing. Here's just some free information for you guys. If you like it, we could talk about that another time. Is that about I, right?
0: Yeah, it's definitely right. And I would I would say that people you know the whole analogy of you know your friends first you have know, a date and then you get married afterwards like there's this progression and when you're when someone's hired so when someone's hiring a consultant they don't just buy a big package up front almost never there is this this time of relationship building so oftentimes most of my consulting clients they started off with a very very small sliver of work just related to you know systems or whatever and they say, oh, Josh, you know a little bit about marketing? Like, yeah, well, can you stick around for the, like, hey, Josh, you seem to know a lot about HR. Can you help us with our hiring and recruiting? And then, you know, a two-day engagement ends up being a year and a half engagement. And so you don't lead with the stuff they have internal teams doing to lead with something that they don't have anybody doing. And then if they like you, if they trust you, if you do good work, they're going to keep you around. They really want you there. And so that, I think that's, that is the way to go about, at least, at least for me, I, in terms of providing the most value and actually also helping out the lumpy cash flow that typically happens with a consultant. Usually consultants, they try really hard to get big fees. They get good, you know, they maybe like $5,000 one weekend, but then it's zero for like three months, right? Okay. Instead of just, you get your foot in the door and provide really great value on a consistent basis. And then you're going to have lots of long-term, you know, year, two-year clients. I've got five-year clients where they um, depend on you Uh, to be there for them, you know, being that sounding board.
1: I love it. I love it. Man, this has been such an amazing episode. And I think you've given so much value and so much to think about, not only why you should be having systems for your business and how you can be different than 98% of other small businesses, but then also if you're looking for a pivot and a direction of being a consultant, you know, definitely you should be coming to you to be able to understand how I can figure out systems for my business or how I can figure out what's another niche that I can get into to be able to figure out where I can provide value. The last thing I want to ask is there's somebody out there right now that is very inspired by you, right? That maybe is thinking that they would love to do what you do, but they have that little voice in their head. And that voice says that they're not, star- they're not smart enough. They're not strong enough. Maybe they just don't have enough resources. What is the one thing that you say to that person to get them to just take action? Mm -hmm.
0: I would say that you know more than you think you know. (laughs) Right? And this is what I say whenever I'm afraid to speak in front of a large audience. I say, hey Josh, remember, you've been talking for 38 years you got this, mm. you know, like, you, you, you've been talking your whole life, right? And right. so I, I think that people need to realize that they have unique gifts, they have unique perspectives, and that now they've never read a business book in their life, and maybe they should read a few first. But just by being an advocate, being an outsider, caring, and being curious, you're going to provide massive, massive value to any client. And if you don't, they're going to let you go. <laughs> so let them decide, you don't decide, they'll decide for you, and so i guess i would i would say I would say that is that the best way to become a good consultant is to do consulting and uh, and so I, w- I guess I would don't think that you're going to be good become a good consultant or good anything before you start doing it you, you, to practice you, you you learn by doing, and uh, your fees will go up along the same pace along the way, so I, I would definitely maybe steer people of that. Way. And I can't give a great answer here because I had to do it out of necessity, out of like, do I want to live in my parents' and my in laws' condo or do I want to actually have my own place? So I had to become a consultant out of necessity. And I think that you need to have a a strong reason why to overcome some of those fears. And if if you don't have a strong reason why, then, then maybe it's not a good time to make that leap.
1: Got it. I love it, man. For anybody who wants to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? What's the best, where's the best place to reach you?
0: Yeah, I would go to workthesystem.com. I mean, if you're watching this on video, uh, there's a picture of the book right there. We give it away uh, for free on our website, workthesystem.com. And uh, yeah, I've got resources, podcasts, and ways to either help you systemize your small business or if you want to be a you know, consultant like me and get out there and help companies uh, face-to-face, we, we certify folks in doing that as well.
1: Cool. We're going to put the links to in the show notes to everything, the work, the system, your your website, your book as well. But we appreciate you coming on here, dropping massive value to Dream Nation. And I look forward to having you back again to be able. I feel like this is one of those episodes where we could definitely go part two. And I think that a lot of people will agree with me after listening or even watching this episode. So thanks again for your time, really appreciate it and uh, remember dream nation in the dream we trust but just as he said you know more than you think you know and you must take action otherwise it will only merely be a fantasy we'll see you on the next one that's the episode for today let me know if you got any value out of this if you liked anything about it reach out to me on instagram or twitter any of the social media networks and Of course, leave me a review, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're hearing this at. I would love to have a review to show, you know, what you're getting out of this. Is there anything that I could do better? Is there any way that I can add more value to you? So hopefully you all take some action today. That's my show. I love you all. Be great. But remember, we must take action. What's so special
0: about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?